This is Trackside with Kirk Cavan and Kevin Lee. Twin checkers in the air, and we have a first-time winner in the NTT IndyCar Series on the streets of St. Petersburg. Scott McLaughlin wins the Firestone Grand Prix of St. Petersburg. We'll see if Scott McLaughlin has to woe up a little bit. He does, in fact. It allows Joseph Newgarden to get a half a groove higher on the racetrack. They go side-by-side into turn number four. Side-by-side to the third finish line, and Joseph Newgarden will steal the win on the last quarter lap of the race. He wins the XFL 375. And Pato Award has swung around the outside of Renis VK on the outlap. The Mexican driver is on the throttle. Jake, he just got around Renis VK. Major implications for this race. Put checkers out, and he'll go to victory lane. Pato Award, he wins the Honda Indy Grand Prix of Alabama. He has no idea what this car is going to be like on the slick tires through here, so Colton's going to catch him quite a bit right now. Remember how tough it was for Colton Herta through this section. He almost threw it off the road. There's Pato Award. He sees the twin checkers and Colton Herta wins the 2022 GMR Grand Prix. Scott Dixon is a five-time Indianapolis pole winner. And he's done it in the fastest way. And the white flag flies on the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. Pato Ward to the high side and one. He jumps to the outside. They go wheel to wheel, but Pato has to jump out of the throttle. Marcus Erickson leads to the short shoot. Marcus Erickson flies under the twin checkers, and he has achieved racing immortality. He wins the 106th running of the Indianapolis 500-mile race. The lead, 1.1 seconds for Will Power. Twin checkers out, and he holds off Alexander Rossi. A spirited battle over the final lap as Will Power gives Chevrolet their 100th win. A dominant day for Joseph Newgarden. He leads 26 of the 55 laps in route to victory at the Saggio Grand Prix of Road America. It is pretty much the midpoint of the NTT IndyCar Series season, so a little review tonight after eight of the 17 races. Surprises on the good and bad side from team and driver perspectives. And the speculation about team and driver lineups for next year continues. Jimmy Johnson gave us some insight on his plans today. There was testing yesterday for most of the field at Iowa and more coming up next week. Elio won in a stock car and may have a lead on a Daytona 500 ride. And your questions and comments tonight at Kevin Lee 23 at Sam Rumsa as well. Our studio producer. Thanks for joining us later on in the program. Young drivers Nolan Siegel and Dakota Dickerson will join us. They've had success in the road to Indy, and they're driving the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship coming up this weekend. IndyCar has one more weekend off before heading to Mid-Ohio Sunday afternoon, July 3rd, here on the radio and on NBC. But there is road racing this weekend coming up with the Salem six hours at the Glen starting 1030 Sunday on Peacock. And the final two and a half hours or so will be on USA, continuing on Peacock. So that will be at 2 o'clock on Sunday on USA Network up until 5 o'clock. And we'll get more details in that coming up. NASCAR moves to NBC this weekend with the race at the Nashville Super Speedway. So that's at 5 o'clock on Sunday, right after we finished up with IMSA. And plenty more on the program tonight. I'm Kevin Lee. Kurt Cavan may be in 
in just a little bit. As mentioned, Sam will chime in as a bit of a co-host, and he'll hand her, handle the Twitter inbox. That's why I want you to tag him tonight as well. Um, but he can get to mine. If you can't spell Sam's last name, it's what, Sam? R-U-M-P-Z-A? P-Z-A, that's correct. Sam R-U-M-P-Z-A. And you don't have to have any numbers attached to yours. You were the very first <laughs> Sam Rumsa to uh, apply for a Twitter handle. So good for you. That is one of the nice things about having a unique name. You don't have to worry about the numbers <laughs> or at you know or like by Sam Rumsa if I was a writer like some of the writers do. You know all those things. So yeah, it's it's nice. So Sam will handle that tonight. We'll go through some of the questions that people might have, or if you have questions for our young guests, we'll we'll chat with them in a little bit. Nolan has won a couple of races in Indy Pro 2000 this year. He's still just 17 years old, and he's racing in LMP3 this weekend. And I've mentioned Dakota Dickerson before. Uh, I've known Dakota since he first coached my son Jackson in his very first time in a race car in Skip Barber five years or so ago. He's had a much more famous pupil in the last couple of years. He was someone that coached Jimmy Johnson was when Jimmy was was trying to acclimate to formula car racing. So the year before he joined IndyCar, he did a lot of testing in F3 cars. And Dakota is a former F3. It's now called FR America's champion and was working with the team that that Jimmy Johnson was with. So I've. I've not. I keep meaning to ask Jimmy about that. What it was like having a 21-year-old kid coach you as a seven-time champ. But you know, Jimmy's the kind of guy that would be fine with that. And we'll ask Dakota about that and talk about what he's doing coming up this weekend as well. I mentioned Jimmy. There's a little bit of news on that front, but let's talk championship to start off things. From where we stand, from a team and an individual perspective. Uh, and Sam, jump in anytime you want. I would just say surprises on the positive side. You know, you have to say the championship leader. I've been touting his mm-hmm. potential for the last year and a half and have mentioned there have you know, been three or four or five races where he didn't have the result that he needed. But the fact that he's leading the championship, he's won the Indy 500. I think that's fair to say not a lot of us predicted that. I thought he could be up there, but I'm not going to say I predicted him to be leading the championship. So I put that in there. I put Will Power in there as well. Uh, I've always said that Will is someone to keep an eye on, but I'm not sure that I totally believe that. And we still have another half of the season to go, but Power leading the championship until this past week, now second, uh, is in that category. And then the only other one I have, Sam, that might be a surprise, and and maybe that's a surprise I'd, I'd consider him there when he's ninth in points, but it's Scott McLaughlin. Right. Because he's won a race, almost won another, has been quick in, you know, I'd say he's been a factor in three quarters of the races. So he's a little better than a ninth place point standing. So I would put him there. That might be maybe a year ahead of where we thought uh, he would be at this time. And on the positive, I mean, I think there are others that are doing well. You know, but Joseph Newgarden's not a surprise. Pato's not a surprise. Pelot's not a surprise. Uh, maybe Rosenquist. I was going to say Rosenquist. Yeah, uh, he's he's just been solid the last few weeks, and and with with so much swirling around his future, still swirling around his future. You know, he hasn't won a race, but he's just been quietly, consistently there. Uh, they've worked out strategy well a few few different times, and especially after the first four races of the season where his best finish was 11th, the last four since then, 6th, 4th, 10th, and 6th. So I think Rosenquist being 8th in the points, I think I would put on the positive side 
with Erickson, the other Swede, you look at him around the point of the national race last year. I remember you guys talking about, hey, he might not be in a car next year. The funding might not be secure with Chip Ganassi Racing for 2022. He goes out and wins Nashville, ends up with a sixth place finish in the standings last year, but has also just been very, you know, very consistent so far this year. Obviously, you throw in the Indy 500 win with the double points, and that's really going to help things. But to, to get a second Road America, third at Texas, he's been good on a variety of circuits and uh, has put himself in good position. But as far as guys with Chip Ganassi Racing that, that are talked about, he is lower on that list, especially with, you know, Scott Dixon, Alex Blow, the defending series champion, and then all the all the uh, attention that Jimmy Johnson gets. So I, I would say that, that Rose or uh, Erickson being there would be a surprise at this point in the season. And other potential surprises are just on the positive side. I would say a couple of rookies. And this seems kind of silly to say, you know, it's a hugely surprising successful season when they're 19th and 22nd in points. And that's where David Malukas and Callum Eilat are at this point. But I think just trying to judge the body of work and the pace that they've had, and I would rate this as a very positive for David Malukas, and especially for Callum Eilat. Remember, he missed a race, right? so that's one of the reasons he's a few points back. But just the fact that it's a single-car team, it is a new team. It's, a, it's not just a single-car team, it's a brand-new team, and the fact that he is competing to get to Q2 tells me that the team is either doing really well, the driver is really good, or more likely a combination of both. And another rookie, I'm sure he's not thrilled with where he is in points right now. We knew he obviously had the talent with how dominant Kyle Kirkwood was in Indy Lights, but some of the flashes that we've seen from him have just kind of confirmed what we know. Uh, for him to, I believe he was first in a practice session, and, and he's shown some flashes there. There's obviously been a few disappointments, but Kyle Kirkwood uh, obviously showing why he is so highly thought of within the paddock. And we'll move to disappointed now, and, and that's where I might put Kirkwood, and that's a good debatable topic about which category he belongs in because I think you can argue either one, looking beyond the results of just them being a factor on weekends, and they've been a factor several times. Maybe not necessarily to win, but there have been times when we at least thought, hey, they might be able to finish in the top 10, close to the, you know, maybe even a little bit better than that in the right circumstances but to have just one result so far, right? And and that result isn't all that super positive. What have they had? And a tenth uh, at Long Beach. Tenth at Long Beach. That's, that's it. Yeah, and otherwise you're talking 18th, 25th, 22nd, 26th, 17th, 24th, and 20th. So that's why I think I might lean towards they were likely hoping for more. You can mm -hmm. look at each, each individual one, though, and you can say, no, this is why this happened. We're not that far off. And I think ultimately it is a positive. I think this ticks both boxes. It's a positive because they are seeing progress. I think Kyle Kirkwood is showing that that team can be racy, but they'd still love to have something to show for it. And they've had a couple get away where they could have had something to show for it and and did not. Uh, and, you know, now they're faced with, hey, we got to start all over again next year because we're going to lose this driver. And, you know, maybe we even lose personnel as well. How, how much did they recruit as far as personnel? Not a lot, but maybe a little bit that just thought, hey, here's some, re here's some reason for optimism with this young driver that everyone speaks so highly of. And obviously it's not just, fans and media that tout Kyle Kirkwood to get signed by Andretti Autosport without bringing a check 
uh, get signed by anyone shows how well you're thought of and he's off and moving for the next year and then i would put other andretti autosport drivers in that category too even though they've shown some form at times and at times colton herta has been the guy to beat just in 11th and points right now doesn't sit especially well you look at some of the ones that got away like long beach when he crashes from third mm-hmm. uh barber it felt like he was the star of the show but still finished 10th in that race had a spin late in the race and they tried a different strategy and you know the best they got we're going to get was probably fifth sixth or seventh uh the 500 you crash and that that's really going to hurt you in points after that he's got the win in the wet on the grand prix but i think hurt is in that camp and i think grosjean himself expected to be a lot higher up than he is sitting in 12th right now and two drivers when we started the season at media day I remember you asked pretty much every driver who was going to be the next first-time winner. And I think most drivers, if I remember right, said either Roman Grosjean or Jack Harvey. I think, uh, you know, yep. Grosjean moving in after after the flashes that he showed last year, moving into Ryan Hunter Ray's previous ride, I, I think a lot of people thought that he would jump in right away and and, and be contending not just for the – for, for race wins, but potentially for the series championship. And with the exception of a couple races, it just really results really haven't been there, unfortunately for, for Ramon Grosjean. And he's, he had the second long beach has had a couple top five. So he's, he's been okay. Um, but also he, he's another victim of a crash at Indy where that the double points just really hurts him in the series standings. Uh, but then Jack Harvey moving over to uh, Ray Hall Letterman Lanigan racing kind of on his own with that new third car. And th- there was a lot of optimism there. For Jack Harvey, he's another guy that, that has shown flashes uh, in the past. Um, strategy may have hurt him at, at, at times in races last season, and just he, he kind of had some bad luck at times. And I think a lot of people thought that he would be competing for wins, and, and thought of highly among his his co-drivers. But sitting there at twentieth in the point standings has to be a major disappointment for a team that Graham Rahal has admitted doesn't necessarily have all the staff that they need to compete with three full full time teams. No, I think definitely so. And we'll get back to them in a moment, but just some more on Grosjean. You know, you look at what he did last year with the supposedly lesser team at Dale Coyne Racing. He won a pole. He started third a couple of times, started fifth two more times, six another time. So all those in the fast six, not all were fast six situations, but you get what I'm saying. He finished second on both of the road course races in Indianapolis. Uh, he finished third on a short oval, fifth at Road America, seventh at Mid-Ohio. Now, he can still get those results this season because we're basically halfway through at this point. But what, so far this year, he's got a fourth-place finish and a second-place finish, and then some that did not go well. No fault of his own. He lost an engine at Texas midway through the race, and, and then you mentioned you know what happens at Indianapolis. That puts you back. But he was never really a factor at Detroit that weekend. Uh, so yeah, I, I think he expected, I think he thought he was going to be right there at the very end for the championship. If not win it, at least be there. And I suspect he's pretty surprised and fairly disappointed. And then one other, I would put in this category, I think is Renus VK who we weren't sure what to expect of him because of, he had two different seasons last year. First half, we're talking top five in the championship, second half of the season he's battling with back markers you know he's 17th to 23rd every single week and we're wondering which one we're going to see and it better be the first half 
or he may not be around for a long time. And here we are at the midpoint of the season, and he's what uh, 14th in points. He's behind his teammate. He's had the one brilliant weekend, which still wasn't brilliant enough, and it was admittedly a mistake that he made. Forgetting to use his push to pass on an outlap is what ultimately cost him the lead at Barber from pole, and he finishes third. Had a nice run at St. Petersburg. Had to do fuel save at the end to lose a couple of spots. He was even better than sixth. But after that, you got nothing. You got 10th at Texas uh, with some bold moves. You got 13th at Long Beach. Uh, and you have a great qualifying effort at Indianapolis, but a mistake in the race. So it's it's getting to be time for Renus. So that that's one that I think we all thought and he thought was going to go better for him. And unfortunately for him, a lot of his mistakes have been self-inflicted at Detroit, the very end of the race. Where was, do you remember where he was running when he crashed on, on the last lap, went into the tire barriers? Uh, it certainly was, was better than 16th. I uh, think it was, I put that in my notes. He was 10th. Yeah. So, so you lose six. It wasn't going to be a great result, but decent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Andy, he was right there in the first stint and, it happened to a lot of people that day, but it still happened to him first. He finishes 33rd. He gets caught out in a crash in turn two. And obviously at the speed, you don't know where he would have necessarily ended up, but he had the pace you'd think to be a top 10, uh, you know, finish at the end of the day. And you lose a ton of points on that. But yeah, it's it's been a pretty disappointing last four races for VK. Still very young, of course. I mean, he's, he's only 21 years old. And so... I think potentially in a few years we might look at back at some of these up and down runs and just be like, oh, wow, he was just very young and, and still kind of finding his way out. But uh, certainly a disappointment considering where he was at this stage last season, uh, but before the collarbone break on the on the bike ride, which was obviously very unfortunate and, and kind of his downward spiral towards the end of last season. But still a lot of time for him, but he hasn't shown great results at many of the tracks that we're going to the rest of the season. Uh, with the exception of he's had some good good runs at Gateway, and then obviously his lone win coming at the IMS Road Course. And then to Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, 15th, 16th, and 20th in the championship. And I think I mentioned this last weekend. I'd be worried for Jack Harvey, and no one wants to root against their teammates, but that's what's saving Jack Harvey potentially at this point. Hopefully, you know, his – I'm sure it's a multi-year contract, and hopefully it's ironclad – and that would be honored, but you never know in motorsport. We've seen contracts not honored before, and I, I feel that he's in no jeopardy because they hired him for a reason, and they've just been generally pretty bad. Oftentimes, the rookie, Christian Lungard, has been the best of them. They haven't been able to figure it out, and engineering is likely a place that you can point to. Remember last winter when we were trying to connect some dots if Toyota is going to come to IndyCar And, you know, in kind of a little side note somewhere, it was mentioned that Tom German was leaving his role. I don't remember what Tom's actual title was, but he was sort of an overarching engineering lead with Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan. I don't think he was on either one of the cars, but he was the technical director or something close to that and very well regarded. He's won a couple of Indy 500s, has been around for a long time. And so not only do you lose him, but then you're adding a third full-time car, so you are already bringing in new people. And I need to check on this. Um, Eddie Jones retired, sort of came back last year, and I think might still be involved as a consultant. But I haven't seen Eddie 
much, if at all, this year. And I may be thinking back to last year. So I'll see if he's involved anymore. And if he is, it's not in the same manner. I don't think he's listed as the lead engineer with any of the three cars. So you add all that up and just the difficulty in personnel and the fact, here's the other part. It's hard. You know, it's, yes, that's that's not good being 15th, 16th, and 20th. But you look at the people that you're behind and most of the time you would say, well, they're pretty good. They're on scholarship too, right? Uh, but they expect more Ray Hall, Letterman, Lanigan, and that is one that they'll have to try to sort out in the second half of the season. But it may be difficult because it just sounds like they're a long way away in certain aspects. They had nice results last week in a Road America, but they didn't particularly have pace. They just were able to move their way forward. They were smart and savvy in the race, and, and maybe had pretty good race pace as well. But you got to have qualifying pace to be able to, to actually win most of the time on road and street races. So those are kind of some of the main thoughts that I have of what, what stands out this season. I'm probably missing some things. You know, I'm not really speaking much about the Indy 500, which changes everything. I guess we could look at it from a team perspective. Ganassi, one, five, six. Yeah, not much else to offer there. All in, in 24 with Jimmy, but he's graded on a different level. But all three of the people we thought could win the championship, are in contention and the guy who seemed to have the least chance according to most of us is the one that has maybe the best chance right now. Well, Penske, with, go ahead. Well, I was going to say with Chip Ganassi racing, where would you put Scott Dixon? He is sixth in the championship, but hasn't won a race yet this season. And, and we're going on since last year at Texas, it's been over a year since he's won a race. So where, where would you put, where would you rank his season so far? Would you, you know, consider a good him point more because of a disappointment or? It, it, yes, it would have to be in the disappointment and, again, grading on a harsher curve. Mm-hmm. Sixth in points, but when you're Scott Dixon, you expect more than that. His best finish so far this season has been just the one podium uh, at Detroit, a fifth a couple of other times. You know, I, I think you can look at some others that you know, maybe more would be there, but not really. They've really just kind of salvaged some decent results out of poor qualifying efforts. And you've sensed the frustration from Scott. Um, I detailed a little bit of that on road course weekend when, you know, he just basically said, we keep making mistakes and we've got to stop doing that. And and, and we also keep, you know, trying for the home run, whereas we need to just keep chipping away at it. So uh, he's been clearly frustrated this season. And then, you know, he puts it back on himself for what happened at the Indy 500 and all it would have taken was even if he doesn't win, you know, just finishing in the top five of that race. So add another 25 points or so to his total, uh, really more than that, where he finished 21st. So say he finishes in the top five, you're scoring probably, I was told there'd be no math, but I'm sure it's more (laughs) than 30 more points. He's he's at least fourth. He's at least fourth in the standings and maybe up to third or second. and, and he's within one race, one race win of taking over the championship lead. So that's how important the 500 is. And it's one of the reasons why I don't really think it needs to be a double points race. The extra value would come in qualifying. I, I like re- rewarding a good qualifying efforts and so much time is spent on it. Some points should be paid. Maybe it's even more than 12 for the poll, but something should be paid for qualifying um race not so much in that yeah but dixon's the one to watch and he's feeling pressure because he's got two teammates now two teammates that he's battling with he's got three penskis 
that he's got to deal with. He's got an Errol McLaren driver. He might have Alexander Rossi and maybe even Colton Herta still coming in the mix. And while Scott Dixon should be pretty content, you also, you know, at some point start thinking, boy, this is a year I think we've got a chance to win number seven. How many more am I going to have? I'm sure he has at least one or two more if he wants them. No one knows what Scott Dixon wants to do. I, I believe he wants to keep driving for several more years, but this is going to be one of those. I think when he stops, it's not going to get leaked. It's just going to happen. And, and Scott's going to surprise some people, right. even close to him, when that happens. Do I think it will be after this season? I do not. I do not think – I think the chances are – very, very small, like 5% or less that they're going to come after this season. But, you know, no matter how fit you are, at some point when you're in your 40s, you start thinking about, all right, what else would I like to do with the rest of my life? Or at least some people do. Others will go kicking and screaming and say, no, this is a good job. I'm going to do this as long as I can. But, yeah, that, that's that's one to watch in the second half of the season is can, and I think can, but, boy, it's getting tough, and something's got to change because there have been too many times where they just have not qualified well enough to make them a legitimate factor to win races. I think uh, I don't have a sense of how long he's going to keep doing this, but but I totally do agree with the fact that it's going to be quiet. It's going to be kind of like when uh, Rick Mears retired, where it's just like, you know, at a Christmas party, like, yeah, guys, I'm done. And he's just going to, mm. you know, I, I still expect to see him around the racetrack after he's retired. I don't know if it'll be as much like a like his friend Dario Franchitti, but, uh, you know, he I, I think he will kind of retire quietly. He's not going to be a guy that's going to want one of these, you know, year long retirement send off tours, I don't think. That's one I don't know. I've never asked him what he wants to do after he retires. I think it's possible that we don't see much of Scott, <laughs> that he it's you know, moves sure. to England full time. Um, so I don't know. I, I could see that going either way. I just don't know enough about what else he would want to do to keep himself mentally active at that point. It sure seems like he'd want to be involved in motorsport in some fashion to use the skill set that you've developed and, and pass along some of that. And, you know, and frankly, make a nice check out of that without risking your life. That seems like a pretty good way to, to move into a post-driving uh, career, but, but who knows? Penske, 239, they're right there. What's so odd about this, you know, if you're doing a grading system, you can't give an A+, plus, maybe not even an A when you're that far off at Indianapolis. The one that matters the most. So that's why it's full bore on. The way to salvage this season and repair some wounds is winning a championship this year. And that's going to be the goal for Team Penske. And I think Joseph Newgarden's probably going to be pretty tough to beat. I would think so, and I know we're going to get into it more with the with the testing session at Iowa, but he has made Iowa his his personal playground over the past few years. So I know you guys talked about it last week, but he is he's been very very strong at some of the tracks that we're coming up to on the on the IndyCar season. Andy Merrick, by the way, put together a nice graphic, so I, I cheated and just used that for the standings for the teams at Merrick Speed on social media. Aaron McLaren, SP, 4th and 8th, Andretti, 7th, 11th, 12th, 23rd, uh, Ed Carpenter Racing, 13th and 14th, uh, Foyt, 21st, 27th, 28th, um, Meyer Shank Racing, 10th and 17th. That's probably one where I think they'd like to be a little bit further on and further ahead than they are right now. 
Uh, keep in mind, it's the first time they've had two cars, so I don't feel like this is an awful setting for them. And it was, you know, it, it was an uncertainty what Elio can do full time. I have been a huge proponent that he could still, certainly when he stopped, you know, he was still very much in the mix. He finished what fourth in the championship the last year of his full time. He was still running up front. Yeah, five years have passed. It gets a little bit more difficult, and it takes some time to get back up to speed. And then there has been some bad luck, like at Detroit. So Elio is better than 17th, but he's probably not better than, you know, say 10th or so, which is where Simon Pagano is at this point. And then Hunkos, the other team on their own at 22nd. Oh, Dale Coin Racing, 18th and 19th. So that's one I think they'd probably like to be a little bit further up, especially with Takuma Sato. But a lot of changes there. And all that said, doesn't it feel like Dale Coin Racing doesn't feel like they're 18th and 19th? Feels I, like they're better than that. I would agree with that. I think they've been factors more often than than what their point standings show for sure. And and maybe Indianapolis always kind of weighs into that because both cars were quick at Indianapolis and a factor there. So uh, those are some of the things that we see from midseason. I'm interested in anyone else's questions at Kevin Lee 23 at Sam Rumsa as well. Uh, a special this date in history will mention. Some scheduling news that could play into IndyCar. We'll tell you what we know there, what Jimmy Johnson talked about today, and much more all coming up tonight. Trackside, 93.5, The Fan. Hi, this is Eddie Castroneves, and you're listening to Trackside. How about Elio? Won a stock car race? I think that's one of the Twitter questions we have coming up he won an srx on saturday nights so we'll get to that coming up a little bit later on at kevin lee 23 at sam rumsa handling our twitter questions tonight on the program i saw on the twitters today an interesting note for this date in history 1981 the 67th and final indycar win for aj foyts at pocono it came in rather unique circumstances so i've heard this story a little bit before and this was early on during, well, the, the first cart IndyCar at that time, USAC split. And I think cart uh, regulars were banned from participating or something like that. And they couldn't find enough cars to make up the field. So amidst the IndyCars, you know, by 1981, these weren't short track cars. These were, you know, ground effects, wings, uh, they look like Indy cars do today to some extent. And then you had Silver Crown cars out there as well. And what did I see? One of the tweets on social media today, Jack Hewitt ran this race and finished 25 laps behind or something like that. So eh, maybe a little asterisk on some of AJ's wins, but it all counts. And today was the last one for AJ Foyt this day in 1981. So uh, IMSA is racing coming up this weekend, so I'm preparing for that. And there was a Zoom call with Jimmy Johnson, who will be racing in the number 48 Action Express Ally team coming up this weekend and, you know, talking about running at Watkins Glen again. And with that, he was asked about his future plans, and he gave us some definitive answers uh, to some extent. Well, I wouldn't say definitive, but the strongest that we've heard so far. And the question was posed, I think, by Jenna Fryer of the Associated Press that she referenced something that I had not seen. Jenna said that I read on social media a report that you were only going to do ovals next year for IndyCar. Is this true? And 
this is one of those where it's good to actually be on the Zoom call so you can see Jimmy's facial reaction and also hear him rather than just read the quote. And the quote itself is, you know, pretty good and fairly definitive, but just seeing him and listening to him, um, I'm convinced that he's telling us the truth as he sees it right now. And he said, I'm not sure where that came from. I want to do the full IndyCar schedule next year. It's so fun, so enjoyable. So I hope to be doing something similar next year. That's just my paraphrased quote from that, what I what I jotted down from that. But the point being is I'm believing him. And, and I would also say I'm in that camp that if I haven't said it on this show, I've said it otherwise that, hey, it wouldn't surprise me if Jimmy says enough is enough at the end of this year and wants to just do the ovals and do the endurance IMSA WeatherTech races and do Le Mans, or maybe he just does the entire World Endurance Championship and continues to see new racetracks and go through more experiences. And part of that is just based on, you know, just the logic that most of the rest of us have of thinking this guy that's used to winning, if not dominating, but certainly competing and running up front, you know, at some point two years in, if he is still in the back three in legitimate pace, he's probably going to say, I don't want to do this anymore. I'm not having a whole lot of fun. But maybe he is. And credit to him if he's judging this in a different way, which is the only way he can survive mentally out of this. Because I think he knew, hey, I'm not going to run up at the front. I'm going to guess he thought he might be a little higher than what he is. And I still think he can continue to make steps forward as he sees all of these tracks. Well, he's still going to see Toronto for the first time, but he, he's seeing most of the tracks for the second time. So that's going to get better. But it was just more of just a guesstimate, not based on any insight. In my opinion would be if he wants to keep doing this, fantastic, you know, because we're enjoying his outlook on it, uh, you know, certainly from a business standpoint. We enjoy the attention that he brings to IndyCar. NBC enjoys the advertising that his sponsors bring to the broadcast. So he's good. He's good for Chip Ganassi Racing. You know, it's not as simple as some might say, oh, they should put somebody else in that car that has a chance to win a championship. I, I think the reality is if Jimmy doesn't run, all of those people that work on the 48 car are looking for jobs. Now, maybe at a place like Chip Ganassi Racing, they're almost all reassigned somewhere else. Maybe they add a little more depth to the IndyCar program for some shop-based guys. They could move to Extreme E. They could move to IMSA, whatever projects that they have. But the point being is that car doesn't run without funding. Yes, the team could go out and sell sponsorship for another car, and that might happen. Uh, the best chance if Jimmy doesn't run is if they can talk Ally or Carvana or the American Legion to continue to run that car. But that's probably a tougher ask. Those partners are there because especially Ally and certainly Carvana. And I know Carvana has some of its own issues. They've laid off, a, a, what, 10 or 15 percent of their staff. And, and there are some challenges going on in that business and any business right now. So that seems to be uh, a question. But I think it's going to be tough for a full-time entry to continue if Jimmy Johnson is not in it, unless they can entice a talented driver that has some financial backing. You know, think maybe a Renus VK. Does he bring some of the jumbo dollars? I don't know how much of that is still supporting him, 
but someone like that. And here's another thing, and I'm kind of rambling off on a, on a tangent, but when you think about silly season, you know, for someone like Arenas VK, I'm sure the goal is if he's not already a fully hired driver, then the goal is we want a race. We're running up front. It's time. It's time to be hired. We don't want to bring any budgets. However, if a place like Chip Ganassi Racing says, hey, we have an opening here, and the VK camp thinks, well, that's an upgrade. We think that you can win a championship there, so we're willing to continue to invest for another year or two to put you in this spot to not only then become a hired driver, but a driver hired at a substantial salary if you do what Alex Pillow and Marcus Erickson have done. So, you know, those are some of the scenarios in there. But back to the Jimmy Johnson situation. I'm hoping he comes back. Um, he reserves the right to change his mind. And, and this opinion that he's sharing right now is probably the right way to go about it. If he's already said that, yeah, this isn't working, I'm going to be gone at the end of the year, that's probably not the right approach to it as well. I, I found it interesting that he mentioned Ally next year uh, as a possibility as well. Um, but the reason this all came up as well is because he, and this is why we believe it a little bit more, he was asked about running Le Mans next year, and he said, it's going to depend on the IndyCar schedule. I can't commit to anything until I know what the IndyCar schedule is. So obviously that means he's thinking about running full-time. And he mentioned how he's been in Jay Fry's ear quite a bit, pushing the series to have Le Mans weekend off. And you really kind of need to have the weekend before off as well, especially as a first-timer. But he said, I haven't talked to anyone formally about the next-gen project with basically running a, a cup car over there or with anyone else. And I can't make any plans on my IMSA schedule next year uh, too, because, well, I need to know the IndyCar schedule. And also, you know, Cadillac has uh, got a car availability, availability issue. So that's what the latest is on Jimmy Johnson. Um, speaking of NASCAR, just a couple of other nuggets here. I saw some notes on their schedule next year. And I think we're still looking at, Six weeks or so from that being announced, their chief operating officer, Steve O'Donnell, spoke on Sirius XM NASCAR radio recently. And both he and Ben Kennedy, who's part of the, the France family, both said something along the lines of, we got something exciting, leading, you know, maybe about a new venue for next year. And most people are kind of connecting the dots. Remember a year ago, I said, and I haven't checked up on this for a while, but I was told a year ago to look for a street race at Chicago. And I'm still seeing more and more people talk about that. I need to ask someone, is there any chance IndyCar is a part of that project as well? At one time, I was told they could be. So that would be fascinating. Um, but I have not heard any rumblings of anything new coming to the IndyCar schedule for 23. So I'm inclined at this point to think that if that's it, IndyCar's not involved, but maybe the thought process is they could be down the road or so. So that's what we know on that. And the reason this all matters is, hey, it's important for IndyCar to know what the NASCAR schedule is because you want to try to work around that. And in some cases with tracks, you have to spread things out a little bit. All right, we'll get to our news of the day coming up in just a little bit. It will involve testing at Iowa Speedway yesterday and plenty more all coming up, including your tweets on Trackside. Hi, this is Joseph Newgarden, and you're listening to Trackside. 
Welcome back to Trackside. I'm producer Sam Rumsa along with Kevin Lee. This weekend, the Marion County Fair starts up, and so does Circle City Raceway's fair racing schedule. Highlights include monster trucks this Sunday the 26th and school bus figure eight racing on Friday the 1st. Circle City Raceway will have six days of racing both weekends during the fair. You can check out the whole Circle City Raceway fair races schedule at circlecityraceway.com. Make a day of it at the Marion County Fair and Circle City Raceway. That's circlecityraceway.com. Kevin, our news of the day. So that is a solid read, and we have upgraded with our Circle City Raceway and Speedrome News of the Day. And I'll say it's testing from yesterday at Iowa Speedway. Uh, I'm not sure what happened to J.R. Hildebrand. He tweeted something along the lines of, "Uh, yeah, I went there, but I didn't get to drive the car. So 19 cars participated, and Penske was one, two, three, according to what I have seen on the internet from Racer and Motorsport, Joseph Newgarden. Will Power, Scott McLaughlin, separated by a couple of tenths. Takuma Sada was fourth quick. Christian Lungard was fifth quick. Then it was Pato Award, Marcus Erickson, Graham Rahal, Elio Castroneves, and Scott Dixon. Of note, Jimmy Johnson was 13th, just barely quicker than his teammate Alex Pillow. Simon Pagino was back in 15th, uh, and the two-point cars were 18th and 19th. Kyle Kirkwood, Dalton Kellett, uh, but still the whole field separated by 1.2 seconds, which, which granted – in a less than 19-second lap is uh, still a pretty good margin. But I love what I'm seeing for the activity and the promotion for the races at Iowa Speedway. Uh, High V is going to do everything they can to make this a winner. I'm fascinated, and I, I, I think this is going to go well. It's coming up, what, uh, end of July? I just booked my, my flight and today. 24th, was, I believe. Yeah, it was quite pricey, so you might want to think about driving, and it probably is always easier to drive from anywhere in the midwest i was gonna say you're flying uh, to iowa uh, i am gonna fly to iowa so this is uh, essentially how it works if someone else is paying for it i will fly (laughs) if i was paying for it although i'm not sure with the price of gasoline maybe i still would fly um but but yeah flight prices are getting a little pricier but that's that's the way i'm gonna roll and we're ready to go the the 23rd and 24th with the doubleheader weekend at iowa and that's our news of the day and uh, Joseph Newgard, no surprise there. I mean, as we talked about earlier, he has just been absolutely dominant at Iowa Speedway. So uh, look out for him next month. And uh, good for good for Christian Lungard with, with a uh, with a solid result there. I believe the two teams that were not there, if I'm not mistaken, Andretti Autosport and Ed Carpenter Racing, are those the only two teams that weren't there? I think so. And there are going to be more tests coming up Thursday, by the way, at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway. There are, I think, seven different drivers that are going to be tested, uh, testing there, including the Andretti's. So let's see, DeFrancesco, Grosjean, Herda, uh, Rossi, a soon-to-be Andretti driver, Kirkwood, and then the Aero McLaren SP drivers, Award and Rosenquist. The test, I, I know I had mentioned earlier that Benjamin, that I thought, and I had no information on this. I'm just seeing that that Foyt was going to test at IMS, including an Indy Lights driver. So putting two and two together, I said, well, that's got to be Benjamin Peterson. He's actually going to test at Sebring with Hunkos on Monday. And then I saw on Racer.com that ultimately I think I was right because there was a plan for him to test with Foyt at IMS, but testing restrictions whether it be new driver or rookie driver i think they were out of testing days so that didn't come to fruition so he's instead going to test uh with hunkos coming up on monday 
And there are some others that are going to be testing there. I think the Rahal drivers are going to be testing there. Jack Harvey, Christian Lungard, and Graham Rahal. So that will be uh, helpful for Peterson to be able to get kind of a gauge on where he's at with uh, those drivers. The other thing I wanted to mention in this segment uh, is kind of a road to Indy update. Indy Lights last week in a road America. We didn't have a chance to, to touch on this, but Christian Rasmussen, one, he became the 10th different driver to win at all three levels of the road to Indy. It was kind of a two-parter race. Christian Bogle launched up into the, the catch fence over one of the curbs. Second time that happened over the weekend, midway through. Uh, it happened in Indy Pro 2000 with Lindsey Brewer. Uh, drivers were all okay, but Brewer wasn't going cars not as fast, so she didn't get up into the fence, just launched. But Bogle did. So, you know, I suspect they're going to look and see at that angle of the curb coming in because that that can happen uh, when you when you get it wrong and then you decide not to run over the people in front of you and go to your right. You're just going to launch at that point. So race red flag. They had to finish it after the IndyCar race and Rasmussen took the lead on the midpoint restart on the outside of Stingray Rob, who started on the pole and finished second. Hunter McElroy finished third. Linus Lundquist finished fourth. He still is in charge of the championship, up 82 points on Stingray Rob. Benjamin Peterson is third. I think some of them are testing at Iowa tomorrow, and then they'll be at Mid-Ohio next weekend with IndyCar. Indy Pro 2000, Lewis Foster and Braden Eves won the races. Six different winner this season. Jack William Miller from here in the area and Carmel finished second in race two. Foster leads Reese Gold in that championship by 19. Nolan Siegel on the show Next hour is third in, in points. And in USF 2000, Jace Denmark of Pabst Racing and Michael D. Orlando of Cape Motorsports won the two races. D. Orlando leads the championship by just six on Miles Rowe, who finished second in both races. Uh, and Michael is leading, as I mentioned, the championship, trying to continue that trend. He, he ran most of the season in 18, and in 19 ran F4, finished fourth in 20. I think he won a race, won a couple of races last year, finished second. Now he's trying to finish first this year. Obviously, I'm a little bit biased on that. He's my son Jackson's teammate. You know, we're kind of seeing that the three-year plan is working even in USF 2000 a little bit more. Some drivers are just taking a little bit of time. And, you know, kind of the difference from what it was a few years ago is it used to just be, hey, you get with Cape Motorsports and one of their drivers is going to win the championship because they did eight or nine years in a row. Now there are about five teams that can win the championship. So it makes it uh, much more interesting. Quick report on on our driver. We like to call him our driver, Jackson Lee. Um, really fast that weekend. Best pace he's had this year. A bit frustrating. He went purple in one of the sessions, was close to fastest going purple means you're fastest for a time was close to fastest in a couple of sessions, legit fast on, on old and new tires, had some bad luck, gambled a little bit in qualifying needed a little bit more green in the race or might've been able to be up on the podium, but still had a, a great run in the first race, passed a lot of cars, made a mistake in, in, in the race uh, that weekend that could have uh, given him good results in both races. But I think we all felt pretty good that, that he was quick and we're off to mid Ohio coming up next weekend as well. Uh, public service announcement. We do have some packages for entry-level partnerships based on hospitality, what it costs for a suite, and then getting some extra assets along with that. So if you have an interest, let me know. I kept forgetting to try to sell our T-shirts 
We have a lot of T-shirts left over, so we can probably bring some of those to Mid-Ohio or IMS if people are interested. And we need more Twitter followers for Jackson Lee 52 because we actually made contact with a pretty major national company that is interested in micro-influencers. So we need about 100 Twitter followers to get to that micro-influencer level for that. All right, coming up in the next hour, we'll talk to a couple of other young drivers who are racing in IMSA this weekend and get to your Twitter questions, too, at Kevin Lee 23 Sam Rumpsa will be reading them for us tonight on Trackside. Hi, this is Simon Pagano, and you're listening to Trackside. I love being back at Iowa. Um, it's a great track for us. You know, me specifically, I, it's always been one of my favorites for sure. I don't know that I dislike anywhere we go, but you definitely check a couple tracks off as, you know, places that are highlights, and this is one of them. I think it's one of the best races we have all year. You know, you get great side-by-side racing here. There's, it's a true two-, three-lane racetrack where you can pretty much put the car anywhere you need to, uh, and that's exciting to drive. It's exciting to watch for fans, so it's good to be back here after a year. And the support from Hy-Vee, uh, you know, the festival-like atmosphere that it looks like they're creating, I think is going to be a big plus for the fans and certainly for us as as drivers coming here and, and feeling that atmosphere. Yeah, I, have an appre- I definitely have an appreciation for why everyone says this place is so great. From the character of the bumps um, to the deg, you know, because of the, the older asphalt and how it wears the tires out, um, we just want a chance to pass, and this track creates, uh, by itself, creates a lot of opportunities for drivers to pass. It's probably my favorite oval so far, apart from Indy, obviously. Um, you know, I think it's just been able to go up and down different lanes and, and um, you know, the, t- the tire deg as well. So it really comes down to, you know, looking after the tire at the start of the stint and then, you know, seeing how far you can go and how, how long you can look after it. Really enjoyed that. Had a good couple of long runs and, um, yeah, learning every lap. Scott McLaughlin, Jimmy Johnson, Joseph Newgarden after testing at Iowa Speedway for the race coming up. Near the end of July, it's going to get busy again. One more weekend off, and then it is going to be fast and furious for IndyCar starting at Mid-Ohio, then, what, a weekend off in Toronto, and then it's back-to-back-to-back and so forth into the second half of the season. Kevin Lee and Sam Rumsa in the MS Communications Worldwide Headquarters tonight. Uh, Tweet, and Sam's going to go through the Twitter inbox at Kevin Lee 23 in just a moment before the love of Indy asks if Kurt Cavan has become the Wally Pip of trackside unfortunately sam do you know who ollie pip is i know most of our younger people do not i had heard of it but i had to look it up to confirm i knew it was a baseball (laughs) reference i i I looked it up and realized that he was replaced by lou gehrig uh but yeah it's been a while wally pip was uh, a very good first baseman for the new york yankees in the mid-20s had been for several years and took a day off Lou Gehrig filled in and played over 2,000 straight games. Didn't miss a game for 15 years. So with that, Kurt has chimed in. He's joined us now, or he's confused on his time zones. Kurt, the show started an hour ago. Where are you? (laughs) I took a week's vacation, and for the first – I think this would have been the first caller of all time to this station from the Yukon Territories – I don't know if you know where the Yukon Territory is, but uh, it's very northwest. We've been in Alaska the last few days, and I have just stepped back into the country. And so, yeah, I'm about as far away as as it gets in the the North America uh, phone system. I've been to Alaska, but unfortunately it was in December, and it was pretty miserable. So kudos to you because it was 93 today here in town so you are uh you are winning this one 
Yeah, it's about, uh, I think it's probably 58 now. It's just really delightful. I had no idea how green Alaska is in the summertime. I, I don't know that I expected the season to be so full of bloom so quickly, given that it was probably uh, in places uh, where we have been, uh, Alaska in some parts gets 200 feet of snow during the summer or during the winter time. And I just didn't expect it to kind of be so green so quickly, but just a gorgeous part of the country. I've never been here. And uh, we we zipped up into the into the Yukon uh, today and uh, just spectacular. That's all there is to it. Bear, moose, caribou, eagles, all, all of the above and, and in great uh, numbers. Yeah, you actually sent me a picture of a moose. I've been there at a time when it was dark, 21 to 22 hours out of the day. You're going to go the other side of that. So I think I was there for maybe... What was it called? The Top of the World Classic? Not not the Great yeah. Alaska Shootout, but the Top of the World of the World Classic with Ball State. I, I went think that's many many years ago. I think that's in Fairbanks, isn't it? You were in it Fairbanks, is. yeah. So Which is actually further I, south than Anchorage, I think. No, no, Fairbanks is north no? of Anchorage, and uh, oh, it is. Here's the yeah. To your point about being on the opposite end. Uh, I don't know how many nights I've been here, four or five now, and I've not seen it dark. It has been daylight <laughs> every hour that I've been awake. So it gets dark about 1230, and it's light by four. Okay. So <laughs> works out then. All right, Sam, let's go to the Twitter inbox. Kurt, we've already covered the news and so forth. So if you haven't answered any of these Twitter questions, you can chime in. So go ahead, Sam. What do we got? We'll start with a quick TV-related one from Runner, R-U-N-R on Twitter. Since you're the everything TV expert, wondering if you know if ratings numbers included streaming and is there any ratings difference when streaming from YouTube TV or Peacock app, is streaming just counted as streaming? So do you? I think he's asking, do YouTube TV go into the TV rating or is that more of a streaming number specifically? So I am far from an expert. I know just enough to be dangerous when it comes to that. But that's a good question. I'll ask someone on that. Here's my guesstimate on that. When NBC releases a couple of numbers, and the first one that you usually see other people tweet, for example, last week for Road America, I think we saw a number of like 1.07 million watching on TV. So that's the TV audience. And then when NBC sends out a release, it was 1.1. So that's adding in the streaming audience. And by that, I take that to mean they're adding in the Peacock or NBCSports.com audience. And I believe, although I'm not certain, that YouTube TV or any other streaming device, for example, DirecTV streaming uh, system or Hulu Live or whatever it might be that would get NBC, I think that would go on to the regular television rating. I think, but I don't know that, but that's a good question. I'll, I'll try to ask someone. You know, it certainly seems like with streaming, we should. this is another question I want to ask because I, I guarantee you with my YouTube TV, Google knows everything I'm watching at all times. But do they share that with the networks exactly or are they still dependent on Nielsen collecting data from YouTube TV watchers? That's one I, I don't know the answer. I've, I've not seen that anywhere, that they have exact numbers from all the streaming other than the owners of the streaming sites. For example, NBC knows 
exactly how many people are watching NBCSports.com and Peacock. All the networks do in that case. Um, but do they know exactly how many are watching from YouTube TV? I don't know. I'll ask someone. Maybe that's an off-season thing. Even if I can't get it from one of my network sources, we'll get someone that deals with ratings to kind of to go through that. So we touched on this a little bit earlier in the show a little bit, but uh, Paul asks, what's happened to Renus VK's performance in 2022? Is he in danger of losing his seat? It's uh, we, we touched on it, as you said, last hour and last week as well. I doubt that he's in danger of losing his seat. But as I said last week, and I think he's taking the right tact about it. He was somewhat outspoken a little bit last year. And during the winter about, and I'm paraphrasing, but essentially made it sound like, yeah, I love this team, but I want to win championships. And to do that, I'm probably going to have to go to a bigger team at some point. Uh, he has stop talking about that, which I think is a good idea. And he might want to celebrate this team for the success that they've given him, uh, especially if he's hired. Now, if he's still writing a check, then he's probably got nothing to worry about. If he's bringing, you know, two, three, $4 million, then they're going to take that money uh, as long as he's willing to provide it to them. But if not, they potentially, since they know that he's always going to be sniffing around somewhere else, they might say, you know what, we're going to look in, in another direction. But I think he's going to have to get on the getting up pretty soon. I, I do not believe he's going, unless he wins at Mid-Ohio next weekend and nothing's been decided, I'll be really surprised, if not shocked, if he ends up at Arrow McLaren SP. I think there could be a possibility if they decide uh, that, Elio's not going to be our full-time driver. Maybe he slots into that seat at Meyer Shank Racing. You know, maybe if he still has some budget to bring. Um, but the others, I don't know that he would leave. I don't think he's going to leave to go to Hunkos in a second car there. So I think Meyer Shank Racing is probably the only other one. And and then I mentioned if something happened and if, if Jimmy Johnson decided he wasn't going to return full-time next year, maybe he can bring that budget to slide into a fourth car Ganassi. That would be a potential opening. But as Jimmy said today, hey, my plan is, and I think he means it at least for now, he wants to come back next year as long as Ally or someone is willing to fund it. One more Twitter question comes from our friend Sam Beisheisen. Is Elio winning an SRX race? That also has other IndyCar ties, great for IndyCar, bad for IndyCar, or does it not mean anything because it's a reality TV show featuring race cars? So All right, I'll let Kirk go first on that one uh, for just yeah, an I opinion on that, and I'll share some thoughts. Uh, I'd be surprised if he wins a race, but uh, he might, uh, whether it's no, you good, did, you bad, or the indifferent. <laughs> What's that? He, he, he asked what winning an SRX uh, essentially meant. Well, is I was getting to that. Good I was, for, I, for IndyCar. Yeah, I don't know if it's I don't know if it's good, bad, or indifferent. I don't think there are that many people paying attention, and I don't think it's uh, meaning you know drawing conclusions that one driver is uh, better than another in that series. I think it's interesting. I think it's a it's worthwhile watch. It's kind of a reality television, in my opinion. But I don't think anybody's drawing a conclusion that if Elio wins a race, he's he's uh, obviously still on his game, or if he doesn't win a race, that he's off his game. I, I don't think it, it makes that correlation. 
I think I would lean towards it's good for IndyCar. I don't think it's great mm-hmm. for IndyCar, but I think it helps IndyCar. It's still CBS. It's still a million people watching on a Saturday night exposing some other people to IndyCar. And I think that was a positive that you had at one point Elio and Kanan battling side by side and Paul Tracy up there and Ryan Hunter Ray. You The IndyCar guys were better than the stock car guys. Some of them are a little bit younger than the stock car guys. Um, but but for nothing else, I don't think it matters at all about proving one is better than the other. Uh, what I do think it does is it just provides some exposure to a potential new audience. And I think what it does for Elio is it might help get him a Daytona 500 ride. I'll, I'll ask Elio about this next weekend, but you know who Don Hawk is, right? Uh, who's been in the NASCAR world. I don't know what his official title was, but he was, he a, was uh, a, a major he was president of, of Dale Earnhardt Incorporated. Okay. So he has some connections in the NASCAR world. He is the new guy in charge of SRX. And Elio didn't commit apparently until Saturday night, uh, fr- Friday night. It was a Saturday night race. Uh, the, the story is that he called and said, you know, I'm sure they had an open invite and said, do you still have a seat? And it was basically... Um, if you win a race this year, we'll get you a ride in the Daytona 500, which I know we talked about earlier that this just makes perfect sense. Elio should be in the Daytona 500. I think he could do it, but it's beyond that. Uh, he would be a sponsor stream. He would get attention. He would get a return for a sponsor on the side of his car. If I'm, if I'm Sirius XM or auto nation, I want to be a part of that program and tie it in with all of the big races. Have Elio running the Daytona 500, the Rolex 24, the 12 Hours of Sebring, and the Indy 500. And maybe it still includes a full IndyCar schedule, but I think there is a scenario where Elio is still super busy next year, and maybe it's decided, you know what? You can maybe do some other things for your partners rather than worry about running a race at Road America in the middle of June. We can still make good use of you, and you're still a pretty busy race car driver. And one more. Oh, go ahead, Kurt. I was going to say agreed on all of those things, but uh, and I think he would do very well in the Daytona 500. Honestly, it wouldn't give him a little track time, which he should get plenty of practice. And and I think he would, uh, I think he would take to it reasonably well. And one- and, and by the way, uh, I I I gave Paul Tracy the idea for the kinder, gentler. PT. We were trading texts, and then he called me on Monday morning and talked about how miserably hot it was. But I said, why don't you surprise them all and come home with a pristine car to change the narrative? And then in week two, you can just run over everyone. And he was like, yeah, I like that idea. So um, I'm not promising Paul will be in his best behavior on week two because he got away without doing anybody any damage this week. So uh, along the uh, same lines with the NASCAR, you know, potentially Elio racing at Daytona, this is a note uh, that wasn't directed to us, but something we took note of was Bob Pachris, the, the, the great NASCAR reporter, tweeted, NASCAR will allow a test of a driver with elite credentials from another form of racing to get familiar with the car. They must be entered for a cup race to do the test. And then he tweeted the rules. And Scott McLaughlin, who, of course, has a lot of experience and a lot of race wins in cars that are similar to the NASCAR next-gen cars, just quoted and said, interesting rule. So potentially something to watch out for there. But I think we applied that to IndyCar, Kurt, from, you know, you just want to get creative 
with the rules. If Kyle Busch says, I want to run an IndyCar race, let's find some sort of loophole in the rules and maybe write it in ahead of time that would allow Kyle Busch to come in and run a race. Agreed. And I think NASCAR obviously uh, thinks the same way that, you know, there, we have reached an era where crossover can be good for both parties. And I think NASCAR sees that as well. And Brian at 500 ending 1911 uh, notes that Kurt's signal in Alaska is better than mine from Hendricks County. And that's noted. So the house is going to be for sale soon. And I'm going to be looking for places with a strong Wi-Fi signal. That's the number one priority. Not backyard, not closet space, not the kitchen. It's Wi-Fi, right? So yeah, we'll, we'll get Caldwell Realty on that. Yeah, don't forget, you got a lot of options with your real estate needs. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I'm not going to Alaska, though. I'm not going to Alaska. All right, Kurt, I think you're dismissed. Uh, we have guests coming up in the next segment. Watch I out for the moose. It and I'll see you. I'll see you. See you with the real moose. All right. What's the plural of moose? Uh, moose. Run or stay out of their way. Oh, I, it's moose. All right. More to come. Uh, Nolan Siegel, Dakota Dickerson, talking about coaching Jimmy Johnson, the IMSA WeatherTech Championship at Watkins Glen this weekend, and much more on Trackside. Hey, this is Jimmy Johnson, and you're listening to Trackside. IndyCar has one more weekend off before heading to Mid-Ohio coming up Sunday, July 3rd. Still road racing action coming up this weekend at one of the great North American road courses. Watkins Glen, the Salem six hours of the Glen, 1030 Sunday morning. We start on Peacock commercial free. That is going to be a long first segment. What, three, four hours, something like that. And then at two o'clock, we'll be on USA, but continue on peacock as well we're going to try the four-man booth for a little while wish me the best i'll have three analysts calvin fish townsend bell james hinchcliffe uh brian till dylan welch hannah newhouse on pit lane trackside also new i'm not sure when this started i haven't done an imsa race for uh, a few weekends but qualifying will air on peacock with commentary we'll do the qualifying saturday afternoon at one o'clock and then the Michelin Pilot Challenge race is at 3 o'clock Eastern on Saturday, also live on Peacock. And remember, Robert Wickens is one of those in that race. Another driver that's going to be in the big race coming up, the sale in six hours on Sunday, is Road to Indy. Indy Pro 2000 driver, a two-time race winner this year, third in the championship with D-Force, and he's going to be driving for the championship-leading team in LMP3, Junior 3, car number 30, it's Nolan Siegel. Hi, Nolan. How are you? I am good. How are you? I'm good. So it's not your first chance to run in sports cars. You have run in Michelin Pilot Challenge before in a GS car, and then you ran the Rolex this year uh, as well. What what was that like for you? It was great. It was great. Um, yeah, the Daytona 24 was my first uh, big endurance race, really. I'd done the sports car stuff before, but never anything that long. And it was an amazing experience. Um, LMP three is a super competitive field. So it was, it was great to get that experience. And I'm really looking forward to doing my next endurance race at walking fun. So you ran with a different team then same class. You ran for Mueller back in January and now you slid into the championship leading team. That's pretty well done. Yes. Um, 
yeah, I'm super grateful to, to Junior 3 for, for taking me for this weekend, and I'm really looking forward to working with them. They're a super buttoned-up team and um, obviously, yeah, the championship leader, so I couldn't ask for, for a better opportunity in LP 3 Sports car racing is filled with really interesting characters with diverse backgrounds. You've got the pro-am situation with, you know, guys that are really better than what the rating is. And then you've got people that have made a lot of money doing other things that are helping fund it. Ari Balog is one of your teammates. He was a former big wig at Yahoo. Now he's high up at Airbnb. And then your other teammate is Garrett Grist, who made his way through the road to Indy. Have you known Garrett for a little while? I have known Garrett for a little while. Um, Garrett's super fast and, and very experienced in prototypes and endurance racing. So um, it's been great to work with him. I've, I've learned a lot from him, and I'm sure I will continue to learn from him um, during the race weekend. And, um, yeah, Ari, I actually have not known for very long. I met him for the first time at a test that we did a couple weeks ago. Um, but Ari is very, very fast, actually. Um, I think he's going to – be up at the front in his stint, and um, I'm really looking forward to driving with both of them. I remember asking Garrett, and I think Spencer Piggott ran with him last year as well. Uh, I was, one, trying to get a pronunciation of Ari's last name, and they say, I, I don't know, we've never really seen him. He gets out of the car, and then he goes right back to the truck, and he's on his computer, and he's working the rest of the time. So the only time we yep. see him is when he comes out to go get in the car. And that's kind of, you know, that's one of the, the unique aspects of sports car racing. So I want to explain your background a little bit to people. You're still, you're still just 17, aren't you? Yes. Yes, I am. That's what I thought. I read a story that said you're 18, but you know, Josh Pearson has gotten a lot of notoriety for running these races at 16. You're not a whole lot older than him. You come from a racing background. You've actually raced as a teammate in Michelin pilot challenge with your dad, Mark before. So I guess it kind of starts with him. He's probably one of those guys that's labeled some more as a businessman who has done this as a hobby. How did you guys get into motorsport and how did that bring you along? Yeah, well, so we both race now, but I actually got him into it. Um, I started karting. Really? Um, okay. Kind of just coincidentally um, and, you know, got into it more and more and started doing more big races. And he spent so much time at the track that he decided that he wanted to drive too. Um, so he went through the racing school at Sonoma Raceway and, and started doing IMSA, and now he's racing GT4 in IMSA. And, yeah, we have gotten to do a couple races together, which has been a really, really cool experience. I'm glad I asked. I guess I had always assumed that he had been doing this for a long time, and you just followed along in the family business. No. Uh, so he hasn't no. been racing for very long. So that's pretty impressive what he's been able to do at this point in life. Yeah. Yeah, he's been making a lot of progress, and – um, we've been having a great time doing it together. Um, so you tested a Watkins Glen last week. Is that right? What, what did that do for you? And what did you think of it? Um, yeah, it was, it was great to, to just get to know the team. Um, I'd never worked with them before. I'd never met any of them actually in person. Um, so to go and do the test was, was really helpful and, um, drive the car it's actually the other lmp3 car so the ligier this time i i raced the duquesne at daytona um so it was my oh. first time in the car first time meeting the team um so just kind of getting acclimated and and ready for for the six hour was was really important for me so are those cars there are two different type of lmp3 cars you mentioned the chassis are they different do they have different characteristics is there an adjustment they are actually very different um I didn't know how different they would be until I drove the Ligier for the first time. Um, 
but yeah, there are some, some major differences and, um, even just down to the, the buttons in the cockpit, um, there's a lot to learn and, and figure out. And it, it took a little while, um, but I think I'm, I'm ready to jump in for the race this weekend. Had you been to Watkins Glen before in a car? I have. I actually raced there in Michelin Pilot Challenge in GT4 last year, uh, but this okay. will be my first sixth hour. Um, what's the adjustment from a road to Indy car, from a USF 2000 car, an Indy Pro 2000 car, to an LMP3 car? They are very different, um, but a lot of stuff translates. They're both high downforce cars, both relatively light. Um, the LMP3 is quite a bit bigger, um, still light, but but quite a bit heavier than the Indy Pro 2000, um, a bit more power. So it's a different experience um, for sure. I would say that driving the car is feels pretty natural. Um, it's more the race format that, that takes a little bit of getting used to and doing things like saving fuel, saving tires, and, and working on strategy is, is different because in the road dindy races, we don't have pit stops or, or anything like that. So um, getting used to the, the longer races has been a bit of a challenge, um, but I'm getting there. <laughs> Did it feel like a big jump or not a jump at all going? Cause you essentially did the Rolex before you had done nothing more than, I think maybe you did one race last year in Indy pro, but the point being you were mostly coming from USF 2000. Is that a big jump? It was, um, it was a big jump for sure. It was, you know, you're in the big show. It's a fast car. Um, Daytona is a fast track out there with all the DPIs and the LMP twos. It was, it was a big jump, but a great experience and um i think that it set me up well for any endurance races that i do in the future so let's get a thought on your road to indy season with d-force and and i think you're a good example of the results don't always tell us what the progress is you finished 10th in the usf 2000 championship last year and you qualified pretty well and i know you had some bad luck in some races and you, you got a win at the end of the season but here in your jump up to Indy Pro 2000, you got to win the first two weekends. You're right there in the championship. Where are things at this year in Indy Pro 2000 for you? And what are, what are the uh, realistic hopes and, and goals for the rest of the season? Well, my goal right now is to keep fighting for the championship and, and stay in the fight as much as I can and hopefully come out and win, win the championship this year. But, um, yeah, D-Force Racing and I have made a ton of progress. Last year, we had – a few really good weekends and a few not so good weekends that, that took me out of the championship. Um, but we worked really hard over the off season with these new Indy pro 2000 cars. And we came out of the box strong at St. Pete, one at St. Pete, one at Barber. Um, I was on the podium every weekend for the first three weekends, um, led the championship for the start of the season. So I think that shows how hard myself and the team worked all off season. And, and we were just ready for the start of the season. Well, congratulations on the success so far. Good luck this weekend at Watkins Glen. We'll be watching for you in the number 30 Junior 3 LMP3 car coming up at uh, the Salem Six Hours. Thanks, Nolan. Thank you, Kevin. That's Nolan Siegel, who's third in the Indy Pro 2000 Championship this year with D-Force, running at Watkins Glen this weekend. And up next... It's a, a special segment, two guests in one segment, another driver in the LMP3 class. And I'll admit that I'm kind of multitasking, so I'll gather some notes that I can use for the broadcast. But I've been wanting to talk to Dakota Dickerson on this program again for a while. We had him a, a few years ago. Some might remember Dakota uh, as a, a champion in F4 
and in F3. He was actually my son Jackson's first Skip Barber coach when he first did a, a car racing school five years or so ago. And now he's running in the top IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship Series. He'll be in – he actually was in the number 30 at Sebring that uh, Nolan is racing in, is now in the number 58 MLT Motorsports LMP3. Dakota, how are you? Hey, Kevin. How's it going? Good. Um, so tell me about this team. This is the same team that you won the Prototype Challenge Championship with last year. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. So I'm running with MLT Motorsports at Watkins Glen. Uh, like you said, we ran together last year. And actually, they're my first uh, LMP3 team that I've, I've run with ever since 2019. So I've been with the team now for a few years. I've uh, been looking to make the jump up into WeatherTech Racing. We had our first race together at Mid-Ohio in weather tech and now uh, doing our first endurance race together. But um, yeah, it's been, it's been a good journey so far. We're really excited for Watkins Glen. Uh, we won there last year in, in IPC. So feeling good, obviously totally different animal in, in the big show, but, uh, but we're feeling good for, for next, for this upcoming weekend. And you finished second at Sebring with the junior three team, correct? Yes. Yeah. So I ran with uh, Ari Garrett and, and the junior three guys at, at Sebring, which is a super cool experience. Uh, MLT, we, we were planning on actually starting our season closer to the six hour, uh, but uh, just, just you know, kind of had an opportunity to come up with running with JR3 and super, super great team. Nolan, uh, obviously, I was listening in on, on your guys' conversation. He's going to love it there. It's super, super great team, really hardworking, really fast race car, super fast drivers. Um, and I, I really enjoyed working with them. We uh, managed the podium at, at the 12 hour there as well. So, um, you know, for my first WeatherTech event and being in the P3 class as well, they were super accommodating. I learned a lot uh, from Garrett as well and, and the rest of the guys there. So uh, it'll, it'll be it'll be fun to be competing against them. Uh, but also, I know knowing how strong they are too, it's it's daunting as well. So uh, I'm looking forward to this weekend. Josh Sarget, how do, how do you pronounce his name? This will be my first question. He's your regular teammate that you won the championship with. Yep. Yeah. You got it. You got it. Uh, you know, name right. That's Sar- good. Yep. Sarche and then Tyler Maxson. I know Tyler from uh, running the, the Hyundais uh, with Brian Hurd's team in Michelin Pilot Challenge. He's still 17 years old, really fast, really young driver. So when you're an LMP3, and I'll let you explain this about the, the dynamics of you're faster than some of the GT cars, but they have some advantages. And then, and then you've got to deal with two faster classes of prototypes. What is that like dealing with that? I think the, the easiest way to put it is chaotic. I mean, there's so <laughs> much, there's so much going on when you're, when you're out on the racetrack. And that was, that was one of the toughest things for me jumping, even from, you know, we're driving that same, same LMP3 car and IPC as we are in WeatherTech. But, but I think like as Nolan touched on the dynamics of driving between even, even an hour 45 minute race is still, pretty much a sprint race for us and going from that kind of sprint format into the longer endurance racing with with multi-class uh, racing as well it's, it's so busy uh the, the dpis are incredibly fast uh that you, you know you'll check your mirrors or check the rear view camera exiting exiting corner and, and they'll be coming by you by the end of the straight and you didn't even see it, and they're just they're wickedly fast and the p2s aren't aren't that far behind the the dpi class either in terms of pace so you have two really really fast classes that are obviously fighting for their respective uh, class win, and and so they're they're you know eager to get by, and 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 understanding that it's obviously important to give them the respect and racing room that they have, and then similarly you know this year with 
the convergence of GTLM and, and GTD, we've got, I think, close to like 20 GT cars at, at Watkins Glen. Mm-hmm. And, and that's, that's busy in its own right as well, um, particularly because most of the GT cars are, are as fast, if not faster, than the P3s in a straight line. So it makes it makes passing really, really challenging. Um, it's, it's a fun it's a fun challenge. It's definitely a learning curve to, you know, for me being my first race of the 12 hours, big learning curve, trying to effectively get by traffic, but then also to have the faster cars get by you without losing time as well. It's, it's a fun dynamic for sure. Well, and explain the dynamic of the different levels and skill sets of drivers in LMP3. You still have, you know, I, I don't care what they're ranked, but you have occasionally drivers that are gold platinum type drivers in that class. You know, the Colin Browns of the world, Oliver Askew and Spencer Piggott, and these guys have driven in this class. Someone like yourself, Gabby Chavez, uh, Marco Andretti drove in this class. Uh, And then, you know, you may see an LMP2 driver who is a pure gentleman driver. I'm going to guess the pace is not that much different between a really good LMP3 driver and someone that is uh, not a full-time race car driver and an LMP2. Yeah, absolutely. Particularly at the start of the races, right, when, when tires are cold and, and uh, everybody's out on the track. I mean, so the in the P3 category, particularly, the, the format in the Pro-Am format is a silver under 30 is considered an amateur. So, Theoretically speaking, with my silver rating and being under the age of 30, I'm considered an amateur. So you could see myself going up against like an Ari and uh, other other bronzes in the P3 class. But similar, you can have mm-hmm. myself starting the race up against the bronzes and the AMs in the P2 category. And, and it's interesting to watch the dynamics at the start of some of the some of the WeatherTech races because the fastest guys in the P3 category, when you look at like a Jarrett Andretti, who is partnered up with Josh Burden, Gabby Chavez, he's starting the race, he's super quick, but he's, you know, sometimes it looks like he's being held up by some of the back end of the P2 class. So it makes it makes multi-class racing really fun. And, and to that point too, you also have some of the GT cars that have a good amount of traction control, ABS and things like that, that can get up to speed super quickly at the start of the races. And you'll see them come through the field like we saw at Mid-Ohio super early in the race. So you know, being a six hour race, it's definitely an endurance, but the first 10, 15 minutes of the race just seems like, like controlled chaos for sure. Dakota Dickerson is joining us. He'll be running in the uh, number 58 LMP three car at the Salem six hours coming up this weekend, former road to Indy driver, two-time champion in the Honda world in F4 and F3. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to you, I've been meaning to do this for a while is Last winter, we remember hearing when Jimmy Johnson was transitioning to IndyCar, I guess the winter before last, he wanted to drive anything he can and and could do to get experience, and he was driving an F3 car, and I think it just so happened that you were the coach of that team working with some other young drivers. What was that like coaching, you know, your normal 16, 17, 18-year-old drivers and a 45-year-old seven-time NASCAR champion? It was probably it, it was a really fun dynamic that I think we all valued. We 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 found value in working together for sure. Like as much as I would like to say I coached Jimmy, I think in many aspects I learned just as much from him as I probably could mm-hmm. have helped him transition in, into the open wheel side of racing. And, and likewise with the younger kids that were on the team, not only were they kind of you know starstruck by having Jimmy Johnson as a teammate testing it 
you know, Sebring or Barber like that for a couple of days, it was really valuable to have somebody, you know, anybody who wins seven championships at their respective, you know, form of motorsports, especially at, at the top level like NASCAR and, and now competing in IndyCar, they're incredibly gifted. And you can tell why. Like when you when you work with Jimmy and when you talk with him, he is so dedicated to the craft. It's 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 pretty it, it's amazing how dedicated he is, not only to the sport and the fans and everything, but to his own personal craft. I think he has to be probably one of his biggest self critics. Um, but it was so, it was so much fun getting to help him in the slightest in terms of the transition from the big stock cars and the open wheel, but then also just being able to talk to him and kind of absorb as much as I could as well from having somebody with that mentality and that work ethic and things like that and trying to apply that into my own career as well. But it was super cool. He was such a humble guy. I was able to work with all the young kids. Um, absolutely no ego behind anything he was doing just purely wanting to learn as much as he can get as much of experience as he can and now obviously i think you know you could look at his results and say whatever you want to say but i think hit the rate of his progression in indycar and what he's able to accomplish in probably one of the most competitive series in and in, in racing in general right now it's pretty amazing what he's been able to accomplish yeah. so i thoroughly enjoyed working with him i hope he continues to pursue the open wheel route and continues to stay in IndyCar. Uh, I'll also be able to see him at the six hour of the Glen this year. So like, yeah, you know, he's doing, he's doing everything. It's I'm super, I'm super envious. And then also, you know, can't, you know, tons of respect to the guy for, for doing so much racing uh, at this point in his career as well. Cool story. Dakota Dickerson, look for him in the number 58 MLT Motorsports LMP3 car on Peacock or USA coming up this weekend for the IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship at Watkins Glen. Thanks, Dakota. We'll talk to you soon. Awesome. Thanks, Kevin. Great chatting with you. All right. We'll check in with what we missed in just a moment on Trackside. Fun chat with a couple of young guys. Hope you enjoyed that. Nolan Siegel and Dakota Dickerson. Um, Part of my dream is I still hope there's a combined weekend someday with IndyCar and IMSA at Watkins Glen. I don't know if it's happening or not, but I'll continue to politic on that front. But we've got six hours of uh, IMSA WeatherTech Sports Car Championship racing on Sunday, the two-hour Michelin Pilot Challenge race on Peacock on Saturday. Hope you can join us 1030 on Sunday on Peacock, and then we join USA Network at two o'clock that's it for us we'll talk more silly season mid-season get you set for mid-ohio next tuesday night at seven for kurt cabin and sam rumsa i'm kevin lee thanks for listening to 93.5 and 107.5 the fan